because it was a good line. I had a line in Hey Jude uh, said, the movement you need is on your shoulder. And I, I thought that was me just blocking out the, the, uh, the line. And I said, I'll change that. He said, you won't, you know, that's the best line in it. John, I'm Paul, I'm George, and I play the drums. From pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network, it's Get Back to the Beatles with Chachi LaPrette. And Chachi's co-host, Beatles instructor at Suffolk University, David Gowan. Well, hello everybody, it's Chachi LaPrette right here on Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network, as the man with the golden voice said in our intro. And I'm here to my right with Professor David Gallant, the instructor of the Beatles class at Suffolk University. Good day, my friend. It's good to see you. Good day, Chachi. I always forget now. Are we in 2018 today or 1968? 2018. Okay. But looking back at 68, and I will give you a clue of the subject. So listen up. Yes, that's my Hey Jude music box, and that's what we're discussing today, Professor Gallant. Well, it's a it's a music box that says Hey Jules now, doesn't it? It says Hey Jude. Which is an interesting intro, isn't it, Chachi? Yes, not very, nothing special. It's one of those Franklin Mint series uh, music boxes that I... Uh, isn't that what I said, Franklin yes, Mint? Yes, 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 yes. Okay. And I do want to identify David Yaz, a spiritual leader and uh, producer of the show today and every day when we're here. Thank you, Chach. It's uh, just a pleasure to be here, and I hope I pass the audition. See that? He is from Liverpool. Uh, <laughs> Did that sound remotely Liverpudlian? Not, not at all. No, not really. <laughs> but today we're going to have uh, uh, some hopefully lively conversation, and I'm sure it will be just as important as the song Hey Jude. And we have a special guest calling in uh, momentarily. David, we'll give you the cue when we're ready to speak to Dr. Candy Leonard, a friend of ours, David, for many, many years. Absolutely. And the author of really a fantastic book called Beatleness. She'll be joining us as well. But hey, Jude, uh, I remember when I was a kid, 1968, <clears throat> excuse me, in Boston, uh, Cambridge, in fact, I'd get out of school and it was my first experience with appointment listening on the radio, the radio station, which I seem to recall as being Wimex, W-M-E-X, every afternoon at 3 o'clock would play Hey Jude, the A-side, and Revolution, the B-side. And I was a young kid, and I knew I had to get that radio in my hand by 3 o'clock. It was a big, it was an important time back then. You know, Chachi, I don't know if I had the same sense of, of timing in terms of the time of day it would come on, uh, but for a young lad growing up in southeastern Massachusetts, and this song comes out in the summer of 1968, right? Released in August of 1968. I remember it being played endlessly, the full version, uh, as I was sitting in the back seat of the family car, and my dad had all four of us kids, uh, plus three other kids, uh, belonged to the family, a good friend of ours, and my mom's friend, and uh, so he had seven kids in the, in the station wagon going <laughs> going down to Second Beach in Newport. With the wood paneling. On uh, the side no, of the no, car. no wood paneling, no. <laughs> but uh, seven of us down to uh, Second Beach in Middletown or Newport. And, um, and this was always, always, always on the radio. WPRO FM, Providence, Rhode Island. There you go. Salty Brine telling you at the beach it's time to turn so you don't burn. Wait a minute. The DJ was name was Salty Brine? Salty Brine. Very famous Rhode Island. Uh, um, oh, very, very famous Rhode Island radio personality. Absolutely. He actually uh, goes way back to having announced the, uh, the bombing of Pearl Harbor and... Uh, growing up, listening to him, hoping he would tell us that school was canceled when there was too much snow. But he was also introducing Hey Jude, as well as Revolution in 1968. Important time. And, you know, although you can't see it, 
Uh, I did bring in some Hey Jude collectibles. You heard the music box. But uh, I have a Hey Jude on 45 from Italy. And we have the Hey Jude 20th anniversary uh, picture disc in my hand here. And some uh, Apple releases, American releases of Hey Jude. So Chachi, was this not the first single released with the Apple as opposed to the Swirl? That is correct. Hey Jude was the first... uh, release on Apple Records, but not the first recording. Right. Uh, and I talk about this on my show, where the first actual recording was a private recording on Apple Records. Professor, do you know what I'm talking of? Uh, this to do with Maureen Starkey. Th- this was a, a released recording? No, it was a private recording, this, and it was the first uh, uh, Apple recording. Right. This would, have been, um, this would have been the Frank Sinatra tribute to Maureen. Was it based on High Hopes? No, the lady is a champ. Ah, sorry. Wrong. And what happened was Ringo and uh, Maureen's a huge, was a huge Frank Sinatra fan. Ringo wanted to get her something cool for her birthday. Peter Brown, uh, Peter Brown called to say, you can make it okay. Peter Brown called Frank Sinatra's people, made the request, and Frank did uh, not only record a song, but he changed the words for Maureen. And uh, that was the first recording on Apple, and from my recollection, uh, there were only two copies made, uh, but that's a whole different story. Then, well, uh, Married Ap- to Ringo, but also a fan of George, also a whole different story. Yes, but in the meantime, Mr. David Y., can we get the professor or the doctor, Candy Leonard, on the phone while we're talking? Absolutely. We'll go to a break. We'll come right back with Very good. I'm going to play Leonard. this little interlude. Hi, I'm Marjorie Claproot's brother, John. And I'm Margie's nephew, Michael. And I'm Margie's nephew, Dave. And I'm Margie's nephew, Jonas. We're here with a special plea today. There's someone who needs your help. The matter is urgent. And it gets worse every day. Marjorie Claproot suffers from A-C-S. Attention craving syndrome. Every minute of every day. She is desperately trying to get everyone's attention. But you can help. Just listen to her podcast. Margie Claproot saves the world. New episodes posted regularly at pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network. Please listen. We implore you. She needs your attention. And then maybe she'll leave us the alone. Please. 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 Please listen. Politics, family, and fun. Margie Claprood saves the world. At pod617.com. The Boston Podcast Network. (laughs) From pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network. You're listening to Get Back to the Beatles with Chachi LaPrette. Okay, we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Here we uh, get back to the Beatles, Chachi LaPrette, and to my right, Professor David Gallant from Suffolk University's Beatles class. So we're talking about Hey Jude today, and we took a short pause to get a very special friend on the phone with us. Uh, David and I have known her for many years. She has written one of my favorite books. I would say, uh, Professor, that my top five books of Beatle books, uh, I put Beatleness in the top five. You know, uh, it, uh, it, it certainly rates that way, Chachi, and part of it is the unique approach. Uh, I'm sure that uh, uh, Dr. Leonard would, will be filling everyone in, but um, I think that the best, if you want to call snippet review, which is located early on in the pages of the paperback version of this, uh, of this text, uh, would be my own. 
that uh, compares Dr. Leonard's work to that of the famous historian Howard Zinn, who wrote The People's History of the United States, and I, I compare Beale's favorably as that it's a people's history of the Beatles. Because of the, the methods that uh, Candy uses, um, uh, uh, extended interviews, um, and that type of deep analysis of gathering the actual voices, the vox populi, if you will, of what she and we've always had this this argument of first generation Beatles fans. I think that Beatleness two, Beatleness two point needs to take advantage of the voices of of second generation Beatles fans. However, however, the researcher, the scholar, Dr. Leonard wants to sort of parse out that generation, what limiters that she wants to use, uh, and I'm not just you know. Uh, uh, talking about this because I, I really enjoy the book, but it's also a text in my class every single semester for the probably for now three years or so, uh, twice a year. And, and uh, Dr. Leonard has come to lecture at the university and also has come to my class. And so it's great to sort of hear that impact going back historically, right? A famous new historicist literary critic, his name is Stephen Greenblatt. He was at Harvard and Berkeley for years. Um, started one of his his great critical analyses with, I began with the desire to speak with the dead. And that's not just mean people <laughs> who passed on, it means history, okay? Mm-hmm. And the voices that, that, that we can access. Candy was lucky enough to access people who still were around during that time. And, uh, and it brings that time, which a lot of people think of now as history, it brings it to life currently, and you put it side by side with what is happening now. And that's why I think students find it so relatable, because the people she's interviewing, she's heard. The, my students have heard those voices from their grandparents. Right. Well, Candy, that was not only the longest introduction, but probably one of the finest introductions best. for a writer that I've heard Mr. Gallant give. So, congratulations to that. And Candy, Dr. Candy Leonard, welcome to our show today. Well, thank you, and David, thank you for that uh, very nice uh, comparison to Howard Zinn and all the other nice things he said. Yeah, I mean, I, I felt that it was really important to document that experience because, you know, obviously the people I spoke to were alive when I interviewed them, but, you know, 30, 40, 50 years from now, I'd like to think that people are still going to be reading Beatleness and we'll have a real sense of, of what that was like. Because, I mean, it's, it's about the Beatles, but it's also about growing up at that time with them as a constant presence. And, um, you know, as I talk about in the book, it, it, was a, it was a unique, singular, historical event. And uh, as I said, so I, I felt it was very important to document it. And, uh, well, so, yeah. I so think I, I, I thought the book uh, tackled a subject that hasn't been tackled yet. And there's still lots of uh, subject matter that you can come up with for that, certainly, as Mr. Gallant said. But I'm interested in hearing uh, some of uh, the people you spoke to and how they reacted to Hey Jude. But if I may also ask, how about you? Where were you in 1968? And how did you Uh react to Hey Jude? And Was there something special about the song for you personally? Well, I was 12 years old, um, living in Queens, New York. I do remember it, uh, you know, hanging out a lot at the Flamingo Beach Club, and I do remember when it came out. It was a very big deal, and of course, revolution on the other side. Um, yeah, it, it was, you know, the length of the song was memorable, was noteworthy. The 
you know, the the vocal, you know, I, I can't say with certainty that I remember the first time I heard it, but having just listened to it a few minutes before we got on the phone, I am struck again in this kind of primordial way, so I'm assuming it's how I felt then, that the vocal is just, it just goes through you, you know, the beautiful voice. And the it's a it's an optimistic, uplifting song. You know, I think it, when we're thinking about Hey Jude and Revolution, we the context is very important that they came out in you know the summer of '68, and they were released during the uh, Democratic convention in Chicago, which um, you know was was the first time we we saw this kind of violent. Well, we were seeing it was a very violent year in general, and we had the the televised war in Vietnam on TV every night, and, and, and of course the assassinations earlier in the year. But right when that song, when that single came out, and of course we were excited to see the Apple, you know, that Granny Smith Apple, because we knew that they were going to start this company and, and there, there was this record. But, but having that it came out during that um, late August of 68 when there was this violence on TV at this convention every night where it was this real kind of um, jarring footage, you know, imagery with the, the expression the whole world is watching, mostly young people protest, you know, who were against the war and, you know, didn't like the way that, uh, you know, the, the uh, convention was conducted with Humphrey getting the nomination. So, the, the context of the song is, is, I think, very important. And I think that young people found it comforting in a way because it, yes. it was, it yeah. was, it was, there was something, I don't want to say religious, but there was something, it was, it was optimistic. It was, it was calmed down, you know, and then the flip side is like literally saying everything's going to be all right, you know, and the, the chorus on a revolution. So, you know, the A side, I hate you, B side revolution really captures that Lennon McCartney yin yang of, um, you know, they're both ultimately optimistic songs, but expressed very differently. You know, I think one of the great, uh, one of the great things, Candy, about um, many of our conversations over the past couple of years is that uh, reasonable Beatle people can disagree. And uh, I, I often find that the, the sense that even though both are very positive, calming songs, I still can't help get away from from Lennon's uh, B-side as, as um, do you really believe that everything's going to be all right because of the music that goes along with it. The A-side, yeah. you know, Hey Jude, is, it is very, very calming and it's very reassuring. And what is striking about the song is that for McCartney, for Paul himself, if we talk about the yin-yang, for someone who was writing, trying to write and communicate objectively, telling us stories, that it wasn't about him, his politics w weren't personal. This was a song that had its roots very much in the personal, which I'm sure we're all going to talk yeah. about in a bit. Very personal, which became universal. And that was very mm -hmm. much sort of not what he would often do. He wanted to start universal objectively, right? So right. And the other thing that is striking about that song is it was almost universally accepted by the rest of the group, acknowledged and loved, and it, that's very unusual. I mean, Lennon had said it was his, his he thought it was Paul's best work he ever did. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. to have that type of acceptance at a time when they were, they were diverging very much as songwriters, 
leading into that period when they were working together as solo musicians. Very, very striking that everybody came together over that song. So that's, I think that that, it it carries that moment so well. And uh, at a time when, you know, a year removed from the summer of love. Now we've got the summer of angst, right. <laughs> the summer of angst. And, yes. and that, not, yes, yeah, it's, so. it's very striking that way. So that's always been so striking about the song. When I put it situationally, when I put it in its, in its historical context within the group, that um, it, it was almost as if the, this was a, a pure moment that they, or maybe one of the pure last moments that they all agreed on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, John couldn't agree with himself about revolution, <laughs> but right. they all agreed well, that, about. Yeah, you know, hey, between the summer of love and the summer of angst, as you're calling it, you know, they'd been to India. They've been. They, you know, had the uh, Maharishi experience. They wrote most of the White Album, so you know, they were different than they were the year before too. And I think that you know they were aware of you know, the, the chaos that was going on, not only in the U.S., but really all over the world with young people, uh, you know, kind of becoming restless and demanding change. And, and, and you know, there were, I can't remember offhand, but there were, you know, student uprisings in, I don't know, how many countries all over the U.S. and in Europe. And they knew this. And I think that, you know, I think that they were reacting to that in some way. Now, of course, Hey Jude, as we all know, the story was written for, um, you know, for Julian Lennon. Um, but like you say, it, it transcended that, and it became a a uh, sort of a, a comforting kind of um, almost anthem, if you will. Now, I I see what you're saying about revolution being like because because it's such a rocker that, you know, how can it be calming and, and consoling? But I think in its own way it was, because it was so Lenin, and it was so, um, you know, he, he spoke with authority. And when he told, I mean, the other thing, too, I, from a fan perspective, this single was really uh, very welcome, because it was not it, it was the, it really marked the end of the psychedelic period as far as the their output was concerned, right? It was the first uh, non psychedelic. I think the single before that was Lady Madonna, right? Which you know kind of had the, certainly the inner light. The B side of that still had psychedelic trappings, but so this was this was a a uh, yet another iteration of the Beatles. It was another you know they they were kind of you know back. To all the noise of the psychedelic period was gone, and fans really liked that because a lot of fans didn't really dig that psychedelic stuff so much. And so this, there was something pure about it, and that it seemed to be commenting on or was um, received in a way that functioned to comment on what was happening in the world. I think it was it was really it was loved, and of course, radio stations didn't know what to do with it. You know, because it was so long. But yeah. it was a Beatles, so they had to play it. That's right. And uh, some people in the inner circle thought that they'd never play it, but John Lennon said they would. And I think the only other song before that was uh, MacArthur Park was out, and that was a very long song. Yeah, I mean, I don't oh, know. that's do, right. That's do, right do, we, yeah. do we blame Hey Jude for um, Whiter Shade of Pale and Inagata DeVita? You know? <laughs> but the other thing <laughs> I find interesting is it's another, in, 68, in 1968, I think the Beatles... Some cracks were beginning to show. They were arguing during the yeah. White Album. Uh, Ringo walks out. 
George and Paul argue over what guitar line they should he should play during Hey Jude. So cracks were beginning to show. The amazing thing about the Beatles, no matter what was going on, they were able to get back together and make great music. And case in point, Abbey Road. Well, you know that that yeah. you mentioned this, Chachia, is striking. Doing a little bit more uh, a reading and something I had forgotten is that. McCartney felt, Paul felt bad about sort of reining George in uh, on Hey Jude, that, right. that maybe the fills weren't necessary and that he wanted to sort of control his output. And at that point, it, it didn't necessarily come out that George was upset by that. Now, a year later, we see during the Let yes. B sessions, of course, you know, he's being bossy in Hey Jude, but everybody goes along with it because they know the sentiment of it. They know that, that, yes, it's okay to have the orchestration. It's not going to be as overblown as what happened with The Day in the Life. They'll move to a, a second studio, try to sort of do the orchestration, mm-hmm. and they'll be okay with that. Um, and I do think that the, the idea that this is a, a personal message to Julian, which becomes a universal message of comfort, uh, everybody wanted a piece of it, right? The famous stories of, of, of Lenning loving it because he thought it was about him. And Paul saying, no, no, it's about me. And the critics saying it's about Dylan. And um, I think one reason why Lennon wanted that piece of it is because it's a message to his son he could never articulate. But Uncle Paul could, mm-hmm. you know? And it was, it was that type yeah. of message that he appreciated and then realized it could also be, 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 be linked to his newfound relationship with Yoko. McCartney's thinking about it in his newfound relationship mm-hmm. to Linda. And so in that way, it served so many purposes. It became this, this useful song. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, it's the great moment. And if people are sitting around listening to, uh, to this song, a great moment in a, in a still in a concert by McCartney, it's a great unifying moment for the audience and the artist as well. Even right. Beatle tribute bands. Well, the other- about it too it was interesting and and maybe contributed a bit to them all being on board with it is that it it had an audacity to it um just everything about it and particularly the the coda you know that the the whole ending thing i mean it was it, it was different it was once again something different and audacious that um you know it and they liked doing things that were different and audacious, especially when they were well executed and, and brilliant. And it certainly was. I mean, the, the vocal, I mean, I think Paul's vocal on that song is just amazing, including the scream. It, that's that's you actually, know? it's that, that's rather controversial. I mean, they, there's may, it's, there's maybe split opinion. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, as you know, I'm a bit, little bit of a, a devotee of some of the analyses of, say, an Ian McDonald, who, who uh, is not necessarily a fan of the shrieking, and uh, that it's, um, uh, you know, McCartney's tapping into his old Little Richard impersonation, and it goes off the rails. But it was great. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe great. around, I maybe mean, around, was, around, mid, around the six fifteen mark, around the seven oh one mark. Maybe it's a bit much. I don't know. I mean, the song was, it, it was ecstatic, you know, there was, it was celebratory, it was, it was transcendent, you know, it, it, it takes off, you know, and, you know, after 15 years, I know, like, I, as I said, I just listened to it before, um, you know, we started speaking, and, you, I mean, the, the screams have become, I, I mean, I, I even feel bad calling them screams, because they're, they're more 
I mean, they maybe not. They may not have originally been more artful than that. But in the passage of time, they're more artful. So calling them screams seems slightly wrong to me. But they become part of the lyric almost. They no, no, become, I, I, I you, actually you, try to. I, I do try to time it and figure out when he's going to slip into that ecstatic Cary Grant, Judy, Judy, Judy. You know, and I, I that is, right. that is, that, that's mean, like the last, I think that's the last crescendo where I feel as though now the fade out comes, you know. Yeah, I think it's just great. I mean, you know, Ian McDonald is dead, and we're still alive now talking about it. And, and subsequent, like, you know, two, two generations beyond when, you know, I, you know, Chachi and I first heard it, David, you're a little younger, but like, everybody knows that song. I mean, could you imagine, I mean, just think for a minute, like, and maybe there, I'm sure perhaps there are versions of this out there without the scream. It's not the same song. When you're at Paul McCartney at Fenway Park and everyone's singing it, it's the great unifier. Everybody's crying, holding hands, waving their hands. Exactly. And that's why when the Beatles first recorded it, you know, they got a crowd of people to join them. <laughs> it brings people together. I mean, this is, you know, you know, one of the things about them from the beginning and to this very day is that they, they bring people together. It's, uh, it's yes. all inclusive and it's, it's a beautiful song. And 50 years later, people still love it. Uh, and uh, some of the interesting stories about you know 240 nas in that song. Uh, did yes. you know that, David? I, I did. See, I did Professor know that. Galan well, knew I that. I did know that. 240 times they say the word nah as a nah 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 nah. <laughs> <laughs> and, wow. and and I I, re- I recall the story of when Ringo came in drumming. Do you know the story behind that? Uh, no, give it to me. Judge. Well, there's the as legend has it, Paul thought Ringo was behind the drums. They called off the beginning of the song and they started. And Paul, the music's playing it. And Paul looks and Ringo's not there. Ringo strolls in from the men's room, sits down, starts playing. They decided to have the drumming start right at that time. And anytime you feel the pain, and they said, Ringo, that was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so. That's great. Well, as far as percussion on that song, one of my favorite elements of that song is the tambourine. Ah, uh, yes. I mean, I could not imagine that song. Just as I can't imagine it without the, the screaming, I can't imagine it without that tambourine. And how it builds, you know, the whole thing, it just builds to this crescendo. Sure and then. Does. It's just brilliant. Well, let me brilliant. ask you guys. But, let me ask you guys. Yeah. Now, in the catalog of Beatle music, I mean, there's songs that rise above the others. For me, uh, I Want to Hold Your Hand, uh, Maybe She Loves You, Help In My Life, Let It Be. These songs rise above the others, but does Hey, Jews, hey Jude rise above them all as being their legacy song? What, what's well, that's, that's, that's a tough question that's the $64,000 question so a legacy song uh, yeah I like I like the the modifier legacy right it's I think it's a it's a hip (laughs) term right it's a legacy but I don't think it pertains to the Beatles there's too many legacy songs there are a lot of legacy songs you know what I I would not would probably I think most people would probably say their legacy song is uh all you need is love I, I think and David, our, our producer, said uh, maybe the term should be signature song, and that's like Tony Bennett. Uh, well, you know, you know, I think there was there was one of those. Uh, this is many many years ago, where they were choosing some parts, 
or artifacts of human culture to shoot into space and hope that some other alien life forms in some other mm-hmm. universe would see or hear what was from Earth. And they sent a Beatles song. Does any, do you know, Chachi, what Beatles song they sent, which would have typified what the Beatles sound was? Now, you're talking about two different Beatles. You're talking about the Beatlemania years, and you're talking about post-Beatlemania. I'm going to throw, I'll just throw this out, Candy. You can take a guess. David, if you want to take a guess. David, yes. Um, I'm just going to take a guess, twist and shout. No, David Y. has heard of this, because I can see the, 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 the eye communication of recognition. <laughs> I've heard of it, the time capsule, but I don't know the answer. I, w- I would guess... Um she loves you. I don't know why I'm guessing that. Uh, Candy, what do you? What, what's your? What? Well, I don't know. Are you talking about the same project where they put, where they brought, where they sent up Chuck Berry and all that? I believe you so. Do you remember the Beatles song that was sent up? Uh, I don't actually. Okay, it was "We Can Work It Out," mm. which would have well, been. It's interesting that yeah. you say that Never because I have been thinking lately. Well, I have two things to say about this. Uh, about we could work it out in hatred. I played. I, you know, every few years I start playing the guitar again, and I was playing the guitar a few months ago and perfected the perfect. I, I learned how to play hatred, but I got so engaged with the song when I was learning it that I had decided and declared that my quote unquote favorite Beatles song was no longer things we said today, which it had been for fifty plus years. But that Hey Jude had become my favorite Beatles song. There's something about it. However, as a legacy song and as a sentiment, as a I hate to use the word message, but I think that we can work it out is more powerful in some way, even then all you need is love. Because People quibble with all you need is love. It's not true. It was the big lie. The Beatles. <laughs> well, the, the reason the reason why I I guess the reason why I quibble with that is I just feel like um, you know at the time and even John's own sentiment was look I'm thinking that the the tune in my head is Three Blind Mice right so and it's a fine sentiment but um, I don't know necessarily that their heart and soul. We're, we're, we're really into it. And in Hey Jude, obviously, it, it, it was. And I would find it a necessary song, a signature song, a necessary song to have if, I'm, if, if I've got my own compilation on that Desert Island disc, that it has to be there. I don't know that I'm going to listen to it first or last, but it, it does have to be with me, and especially for the times it came out of, the way I, I, the way I use it in class... There are Wait, some. Are you talking about? I'm confused now. Are you talking about? We can work it I, out. No, no. Hey I'm, I'm talking about Hey Jude, our, our subject today, okay. and so okay. it, it it has to be there, but it wouldn't be the only one. If someone said you you know you're leaving the burning building with one Beatles song, which one is it? It's not oh, going God. to be that, but it has to be part of the collection. And the reason why I think it's a it's a great moment regarding what I'm doing in class. There are some semesters, I'll, I'll, I'll say a spring semester, where, you know, we're here in the Northeast, we're in Boston. I may lose some classes due to weather. It's going to happen, okay? Uh, and so if the course needs to be truncated, it has often ended before the final exam. It's had, it has ended at that moment with Hey Jude, where they will talk about the anthology that this is our last high point of togetherness. And after this, mm-hmm. it's a little bit of a decline, not musically, not artistically from what we can hear, 
but together in the group. And then, as George says, you know, once you're down, people start kicking you, right? But Hey Jude right. is that last apogee, if you will. So that's why it has yeah, a special place in my world. That, it's a zenith, right? I mean, it, there's it something is. about it that's really uh, extraordinary. But I mean, this. But I mean, this is sort of, I guess, slightly off topic. But this legacy song question, I'm beginning to think that it should be we can work it out rather than Hey Jude. In fact, when uh, Trump went to the UK and. The uh, I guess it was at the American Embassy when he went there, or so, there was some playing of "We Can Work It Out" yeah. in his presence, and you know people oh, everybody had an opinion about it, and that they put and you know a lot of things I read, people were saying that it was kind of cynical. I disagree. I think it was a way of I think the message is perfect, and it was claiming the Beatles as you know, as they're one of their greatest exports. <laughs> so I think that song, I think that um, it, it also, I don't know, it, 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 it whatever, it's off topic. But, hate, you know, it's, luckily we don't have to choose, right? <laughs> right. Well, you know, it's, it's like, really, it's really quite a question though, right? I mean, with the, with the topic being Hey Jude as, as epic as the song was, as the song itself changing, uh, uh changing the format of FM radio, yeah. of, all, of all radio and broadcast yeah. media in a way, uh, you know, it, it does, it brings that question that we all don't want to answer. You know, if there has to be one where, you know, we're not going to do it. That's, you know, you well, can, that's one of the debates like the fifth Beatle. It will go on forever and no one will ever have, have the well, right answer. I think another reason I would pick We Can Work It Out is because it was, uh, it was a true collaboration. Right. I agree with I've that. Read. And it was one of the few that really were a, you know, a, a kind of a, a real a 50, collaboration. 50. A 50-50. Right. Yeah. So, Candy, let me ask you. We have yet to really yeah. talk about what was in your book. How did the fans react to Hey Jude? Did they gain fans? Did they lose any fans, much like they lost? Well, them? a lot of fans who had, you know, kind of given up, not given up on them, but kind of, you know, put them at arm's length during the psychedelic period mm -hmm. were, you know, they came back with, with Hey Jude and Revolution. They, they loved the song and um, have very vivid memories. There's an anecdote in the book where um, somebody, uh, it was, they were sitting out on the street with some friends and Hey Jude came on the radio. And at that same time, a car pulled up to a neighbor's house to, um, and some military folks got out to inform this family that their son had died in Vietnam. And this, you know, this fan recalls every time I hear that song, I, I think about it, you know, that it, it was, it, it's very much of that moment, but yet, as, we, as we've been saying, it transcends the moment. But the, the biggest thing that, that fans, you know, I mean, they, they loved it because it was, you know, <laughs> What's not so well, but but particularly because it was, again, it didn't have all the noise of the psychedelic period, and it was it, it was it was very clean. Yes. <laughs> you know, it was it was you know there's something about it that was just very compelling. And of course, the other the flip side, uh, revolution, you could dance to, and you know, really from rubber soul on. There wasn't a whole lot of dancing to the Beatles, mm -hmm. and which was something that particularly younger fans enjoyed a lot. I mean, that was part of the early thrill and that, you know, that, that feeling of just, you know, again, as I always want to point out, a lot of us were children, right? 
so we had this music that was our own, that was so danceable, and, and there was no self-consciousness because we were all not, we weren't teenagers yet, right? right? So this, this joy of dancing to the Beatles, so um, that's, so, uh, which was not there, certainly during the psychedelic period, but so Revolution um, was danceable, even though it had all these, you know, whatever the themes might have been, you know, young people, maybe, you know, a lot of people were not necessarily listening to the words, but it's a real rocker, it's a, you know, and and so it was enjoyed on that level as well. Right. So one other thing, Mon Hey you before we move to Revolution, I want I want to ask you about these lyrics, both of you, David and uh, Doctor Leonard. The movement you need is on your shoulder. So Paul <laughs> sings. He, Paul brings John and Yoko to his house so he can play the song for them on piano. And Professor, correct me if I'm wrong on any of this. And uh, and Paul, John and Yoko are standing behind Paul. Paul's on the piano playing the song. He sings, the movement you need is on your shoulder. He takes a pause. He looks up to John and says, That's, I'm just blocking out that line. Yeah, I'm going to, yeah, don't worry. I'll fix that. I've already used shoulder. He yeah. says, you know, and he, he didn't want to say it again because I think in the anthology he says, sounds like he had a parrot on there. Yeah. And John stops him. Right. Says, and says, no, that's the best line in the song. Don't change it. Don't change yeah. it. So the only person that could say something like that to Paul, and Paul would go <laughs> along with it. I think it's a great line. I mean, you know, you know, what does it refer to? I don't know. Your head, you know, think, you know, think. They were all about encouraging, about thinking, encouraging fans to think, you mm-hmm. know, about, you know, forward movement, you know. And, and so the movement, you know, the idea that, it, I don't know. I mean, you know, again, it's, it's, you can't break these things down too literally, but um, right. I think it's a great line. And, um you know, it's part of what makes the song so um, both inspirational and aspirational, you know, because you want, it's, it's like, it's about the future. It's about making things better, you know, and so how do you do that? Well, you're, your head, your thoughts, your ideas. Yeah, we we also we drive. also think of a uh, of 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 someone a con- a consoling hand on one shoulder, right? Uh, also, something that's a guide. That's you know, I mean, at that moment, uh, the movement that Paul needed on his shoulder was John. You know, was was mm-hmm. was his advice, was his consolation. You know, later on, you know, in another year or so, Mother Mary comes to him to tell him that it would it, just to let right. it be. So uh, there's I think there's a lot there's a lot in that line that is that is about consolation. Uh, that is about even, as you're saying, self-awareness and self-assurance, you know, and, and I do mm-hmm. think that um, uh, I do think that 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 listeners um, uh, really gravitated toward that, as you say, Candy, in in your text that uh this was a, a great single to welcome them back from the Beatle break, as you say, right? It has a great uh, alliterative ring to it. The Beatle break that a lot of people took, they came back to a song that, uh, something they hadn't quite heard before, but then started this idea of the of the unifying rock anthem in a way, right? Something very long and yeah. very epic and very sweeping. And at the then on the B side, something that was that was uh, that was danceable, if you will. That was that was au courant. That was of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they they yeah. they listened to that next to Street Fighting Man by the Stones, next yeah. to Dancing in I the mean, Streets. It was as current as it, it was as current as it could be. Again, when you think about what was happening, you know, when it at the exact moment that it came out was all this um, protesting and violence and and uh, you know whether you watched that stuff on TV, whether you understood it or not. I mean, 
I think that anybody who was tuned into the Beatles at that point uh, by 68, I mean, it was a, it, it had been kind of a wild few years there, and particularly from, you know, the, the 67 to 68, I mean, the the changes in the culture was so dramatic. Uh, there, you know, again, the violence, the, the mm-hmm. generation gap, the hard hats versus hippies. I mean, all of that stuff. And so that song seems to, um, it's almost like it calls a time out in a way, you know, and says, okay, let's calm down here. And then you have revolution that's engaging with that stuff a little more directly but it's ultimately a great danceable rock and roll song. Right. You know? And so before we get to revolution, the last thing I'll say on Hey Jude, I, I saw Paul in an interview say once, every time he performs Hey Jude, and when he sings that song, the movement you need on your shoulder, he thinks of that moment with John. I think that's great. So you're a kid. I was Beautiful. a kid. And I'm, I'm listening to Hey Jude, 3 o'clock on WMEX, and they <laughs> played it every afternoon at 3 o'clock. And then right after, they, <laughs> they'd flip it over and play Revolution. The Beatles had never sang about politics before. Paul didn't want, didn't think the band should ever go in that direction. Of course, John called the shots. So you're listening to Hey Jude, and you're all unified, and you turn it over, <laughs> and the guitar starts wailing. Did that scare fans, right. Candy? I, I, nobody, it didn't, it, let's put it this way. It didn't scare them like Strawberry Fields. <laughs> right. Them, or, you know. But I, I think, you know, I mean, it's true that Revolution was their first explicitly, overtly political song because it's talking about the politics of the day. But I think that, well, I mean, I guess John was asked once, they're going to do an anti-war song. He said, oh, our song is anti-war song. But I, I do believe that I would make the case. I think I say in the book that I say that Nowhere Man was their first political song, but I actually think instead that uh, Think for Yourself, I, I call a political song, and um, The Word is a political song, because all of these songs that were raising these ideas that we had not thought about before, that changed us, you know, and ultimately, you know, we as a collective, you know, changed a lot of things about the culture at that time. So, well, yeah, yes, I, revolution I, was the first political song, but... But I, I, there was politics earlier as well, but much more subtle. I, I think that that in retrospect, what a lot of people understand is that um, the Beatles maybe were singing uh, songs that were political that that were not about politics, and exactly. that if exactly. we if we even deepen it from good old Tip O'Neill, that all politics is local, all politics is also personal, and so the mm-hmm. personal politics of 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 freedom of lovemaking of gender gender identity are all almost really firmly implanted in some of the real early Beatles records especially through Rubber Soul and Revolver right and then the politics right, of absolutely. of of personal exploration and everything like that now when the politics become overtly political when everyone who had been listening to the Beatles from 63 through 66 through 67 have grown up to now want to take matters into their own hands in Paris in May of 68, in Prague later mm-hmm. in 68, on the campuses in London, on the campuses here, then obviously those personal politics become become global politics, right? And so right. the B-side, it, this is the revolution everybody knows, the song everybody knows. And when they hear Revolution 1 on the White Album, the first original conception that John had of the song, it's a completely different world. 
And he yeah. changes his mind so many times. I mean, I don't know who the walrus is at this point. And at this point, I'm not exactly sure of his political stance. Yeah, he doesn't right? know whether he's in or he's out. If he's in or he's out, right? <laughs> if you go carrying around pictures of Chairman Mao, you're not going to make, make it with anyone anyhow, except a couple years later when you're dressed in <laughs> a Mao garb, right, with your fist in the air, right? Or, and your, or and your you're on the cover of Sometime in New York City, a, a naked Richard Nixon dancing right. with a naked Chairman Mao. Exactly, exactly. So <laughs> right. that's, it's, right. it, it's um, you know, the, the, uh, the pressure to turn Revolution 1 into a single gives it its different sound and its different feel. And w- when I talk uh-huh. about this in class, I, we talk about the timeline, that everybody heard You Can Count Me Out First, even though the count me in comes later. That was his first conception of the idea where, where the idea of revolution was really the first statement of make love, not war, because it was a long, slow mm-hmm. jam. It was, you know, it was, it was Donna Summer with Love to Love You, basically, with a, <laughs> with, with a political tinge to it, yes. right? Sleeping on, uh, lying on the floor and, and wanting to really make love with that and, and have it like a waltz or a slow drag. And then you have the, uh, uh, the sped-up version with the heavy distortion. And I think that's what threw a lot of people off. They were ready for the song, but now when, when, when the kids had grown into having um, beyond, if you will, the realistic turntable from Radio Shack, and maybe they had a Garrard and they were almost becoming young audiophiles, they thought there was something wrong with the single. And they said, no, 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 that's distortion. They wanted it that way, right? <laughs> and so yeah. that, then the distortion becomes the... Uh, the art of noise. And I always talk about mm-hmm. the Beatles with I Feel Fine, the first sort of yeah. industrial mm-hmm. musicians years before Trent Reznor and everybody else, right? That that uh, having noise as part of the art. And uh, mm-hmm. so that's, I think that's also very striking. But Lenin's politics with it, I'm not going to say that they're, they're, uh, they're unknown or they're changeable. As you know, as you've written about uh, he is, and the Beatles are, are are pilloried by the left that they weren't taking a strident yeah. enough stance, and they were and they were stepping back. And then the conservatives loved the song because he wasn't for violent revolution. Right. But uh, you know, I mean, what's more dangerous, taking to the streets or actually internally changing the way you think about structures and societies mm-hmm. and undoing them? And that's he was getting at it on a more on a less obvious level, and that it, it, that didn't well, appeal to everybody. With, with what they learned through meditation and drug taking. And, you know, it's all of a piece with their uh, questing and their being seekers, you know, that they, you know, the idea that you, uh, you know, how do we make the world better? And, and they, you know, that it starts with the individual, you know, with kind of the, the uh, you know, sort of the, the theme that comes through. In fact, that was, you know, the what's interesting about how the, uh, you know, the student radicals and the new left uh, responded to revolution was the song revolution. It was not so much what they said about it, but the fact that they, that the Beatles had become such political figures by that point that, that, that the, that the new left had expectations of them, that these older fans, these politicized older fans wanted more from them, wanted them to be more uh, on the front line, you know, to be out in the street. And in fact, that's what many people said, oh, well, street fighting, man, is much more political, it's much more gutsy. In fact, it's not, if you listen to the words. Um, basically, it, it, it's kind of a, you know, it's, it's much more cynical and it's much more, um, you know, kind of resigned oneself to the circumstances, whereas 
resolution is saying we can change the world by changing our heads. You know. It's my and own so, it, my my own know, my own cynicism uh, is not going to trust the stones with politics anyway. <laughs> so listen, you guys. Before we wrap up, we've been going for almost an hour now. A couple of quick wow. things. Yes. Well, Candy, with you was about thirty-five, forty minutes, but we started a few minutes before we had you on. A couple of things before we go. Let's talk about the business side with the Beatles during uh-huh. Hey Jude and Revolution. Lady Madonna came out on 45, and if my memory serves me correctly, it only made it to number four in the charts. It wasn't a number one song. The press certainly are thinking, oh, the Beatles are over. They've run out of steam. This is Mm -hmm. the end. Little time goes by, and the Beatles are running out of money. If you read the story about Alan Klein, uh, George had trouble paying for Friar Park. Alan Klein had to do some creative bookkeeping to not only get the box set, but to help George buy the... the, uh, the castle and all the grounds. The Beatles were running out of money. Right, David? Well, yes, right. The, <laughs> the accountant said you have to diversify or die, right? You're going to run out right. of money unless you diversify. And so the, 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 uh, the counselors and the, the attorneys suggested such things as the various Apple industries, mm-hmm. right? Even though they didn't right. all succeed. I mean, just before Hey Jude, the boutique closes. The boutique, right? and they right? have a supermarket. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> the Apple supermarket. Uh, so, right. you know, I mean, the, the Apple label itself is the first stab at, what do you want to say, compassionate conservatism? I, there, there would be no Ben and Jerry's without Apple, right? And, of course, you, you have the... Well, that's right. and, there, and I'll tell you something else. There'd be no Apple without Apple. Yes, so let's not go down that legal road, but this is absolutely true. But it's, it's, it is true that uh, the, the company was bleeding money, and if you look at the Ruddles movie when George Harrison is uh, disguised as a reporter and people are walking out with TVs and <laughs> phones, and right, certainly they right. had company cars disappear, and uh, they had you know furniture from like the 1800s. No expense was spared. They had two sous chefs in the building to cook for everybody. I think someone walked out with James Taylor, too. Someone, yeah, uh, Peter Asher. <laughs> well, they, they, squand- they squandered a lot of money, you know, because they, you know, they were having fun and they were high a lot. And they, and they had no concept. Spending money. They had know? no concept of money. None of, so none one, of them so carried one, money. So one monster single that spends nine weeks in the U.S. top of the charts will cure all that, right, Chachi? And all over the world in 12 yes. different countries at least. So... That was Hey Jude 50 years ago. And let's just recap. 1968-2018. Huge year for the Beatles. Let's recap Yellow Submarine. We all were involved in many Yellow Submarine events, some that have bled into August because of power outages and (laughs) and things of that sort. But uh, Professor Gallant, uh, Dr. Leonard, myself will be at the Regent Theater on Friday night, August 10th. If you're listening to this before August 10th, certainly come. And um, so, your, uh, recollect- uh, what are your thoughts, uh, Dr. Leonard, as we wrap up our Yellow Submarine celebration? Well, I... What did you think of the movie? The did, you, recent- did you like the I remaster? I loved it. I mean, I think it, 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 the colors were brighter, the sound was incredible, and I, you know, I, it, it, what can you say? I mean, it, it's just, a, it, it, it holds up. It holds up, and you know, it, it, I I see it as a kind of a, you know, it, it's a it's a classic twist on good versus evil. You know, it's, yeah. it's like the Beatles on the side of good, and the Luminis, you know, wanting to destroy all that nice and beautiful music and all that. Um, you know, it's it's a metaphor. It was seen at the time, I think, as a metaphor for what was happening. You know, again, in that 
year of 1968, and and, even, and today again, it, it holds up as a as a good metaphor for, you know, what's happening around us. And, and I, I think it's brilliant. Um, I, even though the, the videos didn't, we didn't see them till October, so it was like a couple months later. I think that we. I just want to do a shout out to the Hey Jude and Revolution video. Candy, I was ta- I was talking to Chachi just about that. I was talking to Chachi just before we started today that that those two films are now now that they are absolutely essential in discussing the songs especially yeah. the revolution because it is i think a perfect blend a sophisticated blend sounds like a coffee at starbucks right a sophisticated blend of the single version and the album version where yeah. lennon in in will give us in out and it is still harsh yet the film it looks like you could, I tell my students, it looks like the Beatles a couple years before. John's out front, Paul and George share a mic, Ringo yeah, is, up, is up in the back. And yep. they're doing doo-wop again a little bit, right? And it's a great yeah. blend of those two. And the other thing is, it looks like they're having a good time. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Which is another thing that we, you know, that was part of, you know, like a piece of, and a significant part of the appeal was that how could you not have fun watching them when they always, always looked like they were having fun? Always looked they, they were having fun. fun. With them. I, I posed this question to my students when we watched the Hey Jude film, which of course was staged with David Frost. It wasn't really part yeah. of his program. And, and as one critic calls it, they had all the beautiful people go up on stage uh-huh. with them. Right. But when, when it goes into the coda and the, and the audience rushes the stage and they hang out with the Beatles, I always tell, I ask my students, I say, you know, be careful how you answer this. If you were in the audience that day when they filmed Hey Jude and you could run up, or you're in the audience when Oprah comes out and says, you get a car, you get a car, you get a car, <laughs> which, audience oh, do you, which audience do you want to be part of? I said, Not be Oprah's. careful how you answer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> One no comes contest. with taxes. <laughs> yes. So now let's look ahead. 1968 and 2018. The year's not over yet. Coming up next is the White Album. Thoughts on you guys? The White Album. Uh, you know what, Chachi? I'd, I'd have to. I'd have to. Um, now that is released. I believe it is November of 1968. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it was November 22nd, five years to the day of the assassination. Uh, from the assassination of JFK. That is a. Wow. Um, uh, you know, it's a two-record set. I've I've got to really burrow in for that one. That is a that's a hole you crawl in lovingly, and if you come out fine, if you don't, also fine. Yeah, we're gonna have to have a podcast <laughs> for one for one album and one for the other. There's just so much. The material. white and the whiter album. Yeah, as the Ringo says. The whiter. Well, Dr. Candy Leonard, she has one of the greatest books called Beatleness. Go to Beatleness.com, and it's on Amazon. Wherever fine books are sold. It's David Gallant, a pleasure to see you again. As always, Chachi, coming back at you. And we want to say thank you to David Yaz, our uh, spiritual leader, our producer, and the man in charge. Thank you. You say goodbye, I say hello. That's right. Candy Leonard, have a great day. We'll see you soon. We'll see you at the Regent Theater thank for Yellow you. Submarine, the sing-along print, Professor Gallant and David Yaz. This is uh, Chachi LaPrette with Get Back to the Beatles on pod617.com. The Boston Podcast Network. Have a great day. But when you talk about destruction, don't you know that you can count me out?